Hello, 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 my friends and fellow animal lovers. Welcome to another episode of the Story of My Pet podcast. I'm your host, Julie Marty Pearson, and I'm excited to have another new guest with me today, Joyce Miller. Hello, Joyce. Nice to see you. Hello. It's happy, happy to be here. Yes, I'm excited for our talk. So a little more about Joyce. She is has adopted six racing greyhounds over the past 20 years and danced with several of them. Can't wait to hear those stories. She currently lives in the Churchill section of Richmond, Virginia with her husband and her latest retired greyhound. Before she started writing, she worked for over 30 years as a mechanical designer at a nuclear physics laboratory. Wow. That to writer is a big jump. <laughs> when she's not writing, she can be found dog training, drinking wine, painting, practicing yoga, tap dancing, or volunteering with the Greyhound Adoption Group. So many amazing things you have going on. Thank you again, Joyce, for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So excited. So many amazing things. Before we get into the current specifics, have you been an animal lover your whole life? Yes, I have to say um, that from a very early age, I had um, both cats and dogs, and I write about that in my book, of course, but um, I, I always felt drawn to animals and felt like they were comforting and friends kind of um, creatures. That's great. Yes. I, I can't imagine not growing up with animals, but I always like to ask because everybody has a different experience of when they found their love for animals. So you've been adopting greyhound. Is that an animal you had happened to have or how did that, how did your love with greyhounds happen? So um, it started, um, well, when, when my daughter was, uh, I want to say around seven years old, we were invited to a birthday party at the local SPCA. Mm. And to get to the birthday party, you had to go past the dogs and the puppies, which I think was a strategy on the part of the local SPCA. That's a good strategy. <laughs> and um, and my daughter saw this puppy and it had one blue eye and one. Okay, so you were talking about going to a birthday party with your daughter at the SPCA. Right. So so we went went to this birthday party. She saw this puppy with one blue eye, one brown eye. She wanted it so badly. <laughs> and we had a I had a bull terrier at home, and so I told her to go home and ask her stepfather if she could have the puppy, and if he said it was okay, she could have it. And, of course, I'm thinking he's going to say no, but but he said, well, if she gets up with you every morning and walks the dog with you and feeds the dog, she can have, for a week, she can have the puppy. And I was thinking, for a week, puppies live for 10 years, a week is not enough time. And of course, of course, she did it for a week. Right. And then, and then we went back and the puppy was gone. And so I was like, Phew. and we went to go out the door and somebody from the reception desk saw us leaving and they were, came up to us and said, well, have you seen Daisy? And I said, I think we've seen every puppy here and she said let me take you back in the back and and 
and show you Daisy. So Daisy looked like she was ready to be euthanized. And they give the puppy to my daughter and she says, Mom, I love her. (laughs) So we took her home. And I trained her, and she was kind of a lab border collie mix, I want to say. Okay. I I trained her to do the dog dancing. And at the time, you couldn't compete in AKC events. This was, you know, over 20 years ago with a mixed breed dog. So I, I trained her, and we were, like, ready to do all the things. And then she got sick, and she passed away. Oh, and no. So So I thought, well, I want a big dog. I'm a big woman. I'm going to adopt a greyhound. (laughs) And so I called up a local adoption group and I said, this is what I want to do with this dog. I want to do this dog dancing. Of course, the guy laughed at me and, (laughs) and, uh, and then I tried to explain it to him and then Eventually, he got me my first Greyhound, which was over 20 years ago, a black, we call them tuxedo Greyhounds, black with a white kind of chest. And um, her name was Kit, and I trained her to do dog dancing. Wow. So you talked about dog dancing with your first, the one puppy you got from SPCA. So had you been doing dog dancing before then? No. So the puppy from the SPCA is the first dog I ever trained. Okay. Um, so, so I started out training her in obedience. And um, and then I had a friend at the dog training club who trained many dogs. And she said, oh, you, you, we, let's try this. This is something fun. And mm. uh, we taught ourselves with some videos. And we would go to schools and take the dogs with us to the schools and kind of put on little performances in the library or in the cafeteria or wherever they would let us do it. That's great. So then you got your first greyhound to turn into a dog dancer. (laughs) So how did that go? So greyhounds were much harder to train than I realized. because, well, when they train them for the racetrack, they basically stand up and run or go back to their kennels and lay down. They don't do very much in, in between. So it took several months to to train her. But um, I found the magic thing was um, salmon treats. She would do just about anything for a piece of salmon. So, um, <laughs> so that's how we eventually trained her and the dog dancing can it's not really like a dog standing on its hind legs wearing a tutu that's not dog dancing so they also call it canine freestyle it evolved from um like horse dressage is what it evolved from okay and you you can kind of compare it to pairs ice skating So you get, so when you compete, you get a technical score and you get an artistic score. And at each level, there are different 
technical moves that you have to do, and they get more and more difficult as you get, you know, higher up in the rankings. And um, you just like, you know, it at a lower level, you know, you would do a a double sow cow or whatever. And then when you got more advanced, you would do like a quad jump. Well, it's the, was the same with the dog dancing that at the lower levels, you know, they would have to spin or um, circle around you. And then as it got more advanced, they would have to do things like a distance away from you and things like that. And then you would pick out a piece of music that matched dog's gait. A lot of times the music was something that the person wasn't really so crazy about, but because it matched the dog, you use it. Gotcha. And uh, and so um, kind of how you would start pick music and then choreograph some different tricks to go with the music and then use up a certain percentage of the ring. And then, of course, your costume and so when you talk about the dance and, you know, you have to do certain things, how long is the dance that you do with the dogs typically? So when you start out, it's like a minute and 30 seconds. And then as you get higher up into the kind of rankings, it, they go up to like four minutes long. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's a, a lot long of, time. <laughs> that's a lot of time to spend with the dog in the ring having him do things. Yeah. No, I don't think people realize it until you try to do something for four minutes and you realize how much time that is. Yes. And so your first Greyhound, how how well did she do in, in the dancing? So um, she was she did very well. At the time, I wasn't competing with her. I just we used her as a um, we, we went like a therapy dog. We went wow. to. We went to different hospitals and we went to schools and libraries and um, nursing homes. A lot of people um, requested that we come, you know, and and put on a little a little show kind of thing. That's great. Yes. Did she did she love being in that role, going to meet all the people? Yeah, she she really excelled at it. She she loved it and she loved people and she loved um seemed to love doing the performances and all the spinning and circling and it, it really seemed to make her happy. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Yeah. A quick break from this episode to tell you about a company I'm partnering with to help support the podcast. Nuvita is a woman-founded, woman-owned health and wellness company committed to clean, simple, and organic wellness products. Their CBD products are derived from 100% USA-grown hemp, and all products undergo rigorous testing throughout the entire process to ensure they are selling only the quality goods for you. If they won't take it, they won't sell it. They proudly run a USDA-certified organic facility and All products are certified residual-free, organic, and gluten-free, while most of their products are also vegan. Nuvita has a variety of CBD products, from tinctures to soft gels to gummies to rollers. They're something that can work for everyone. I personally have used Nuvita products for several years and recently started testing some of their new detox products. And oh my gosh, let me tell you, the results have been amazing. One of the reasons I love Nuvita the most is because they have a special pet formula CBD just for our fur babies. 
I have used their pet formula CBD with my own cats and they are amazing. They can help your pets with anxiety, pain, inflammation, and recovering from injury. I will never promote a product I haven't used myself or with my pets. And this one I have used for both and highly recommend it. You can go to the link in this episode to shop Nuvita now and use my code JULIE10 for 10% off of your order. No minimum purchase required, and every single time you shop Nuvita, you can use my code for 10% off. Thanks for listening. Now back to this episode. That's great. I think sometimes it really is about the individual dog or even cat that they can do therapy too, that they really have to love it and being around people and, you know, performing or standing up there. And so when they are, they're just really great at it. Yes, I agree. The dog that I have now is not a people dog at all. He he wants to be out sniffing things and smelling things. And, you know, if we run up, somebody will stop us and say, you know, can I pet your dog? And I say, well, you know, you can try, but um, he's pretty much on a mission. <laughs> and, he, and it's not to meet people. <laughs> and it's not to meet you. <laughs> no, I think that's very important because, you know, I think I'm learning more and more myself that we were always taught to like approach a dog and put your hand out to sniff and they'll let you pet him. But that's not the case for all dogs. And you have to really ask. It's always best to ask because True. some dogs want to be pet and some dogs don't. True. So how did you go from your first greyhound and just doing it kind of more for fun and with therapy into actually competing? So I had my first greyhound and then I got involved in the greyhound adoption group. Okay. And so I. I was the person who did their some of their home visits in my local area. So the adoption group was about 90 miles away from me. So if they were going to adopt a dog out kind of anywhere within my area, I would go and do their home visits. And so I also ended up fostering a dog. And of course, then that failed. And then I had two dogs. <laughs> of course. And she was uh, a senior. She was uh, much older than Kit, my first dog. Her name was Rosie. So then I had two dogs. And then at one point, the adoption group said, um, we have this litter of puppies. And they didn't witness the breeding. And so they can't be registered to race. And would you be interested in having a puppy to raise? And I thought, oh, that that sounds wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> You'd never had a puppy before, had you? Well, I, and I had never had a greyhound. <laughs> I had never had a greyhound puppy, <laughs> which is kind of like a velociraptor. <laughs> I can imagine. So I took this puppy that looked like a marionette and had um, like gangly legs and a gangly tail and legs and tail going every which way. And I decided I was going to train him to be uh, my next dog dancer. And my first dog, uh, right about the same time that I adopted the puppy, um, she got sick with inflammatory bowel disease. 
And try as I might to keep her alive, I was unsuccessful and she passed away. So then I had the old dog and the little puppy. And so I started training the puppy to do the dog dancing. And he was a very quick learner because, of course, he had never raced. And so he didn't have any kind of luggage to bring along with him that I had to counter train. Mm. And um, and so I, so then I decided I was going to do some competitions with him. Fun. And his name was Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> um, because he was going to be a dancer. That's amazing. Oh, so how did he do? How old was he when he started? You started competing with him. So he was um, probably like two years old before I started competing. So I did, I did um, a lot of training, and then I also went the route of of the therapy work with him because, um, of course, we had all the connections for these places where, you know, they kind of. After you've done it a couple of years, then they kind of expect you to come Keep for doing the, it. <laughs> yeah. For the next whatever winter party or the next, you know, will you come for our winter party and bring your dogs and do the dog dancing? So I did a lot of that, with, which was good because it kind of got him prepared for the competition. So, mm-hmm. yeah, used to being around people and traveling yeah. and things. And crowds and, you know, applause, like, you know, when all of a sudden a lot of people start clapping can kind of throw throw them off. So uh, there were a lot of things that that helped. Yeah, I, I never really thought about that aspect of dogs competing in a variety of different things that the clapping would be something that they are definitely not used to. Right. And if there's, you know, a lot of people, then there's usually more and then that's louder and um, can throw them off a little bit. Right. So how did Sammy Davis Jr. do in competition? So he he did um, very well. The very first uh, competition that we went to was in. Well, let me let me back that up. He he did really poorly and then he did really well. (laughs) So we went. (laughs) We went to a two-day competition, and the first day, actually, the people from the show, the ABC News show 2020, were there, mm-hmm. and they were um, doing a show that they were calling Pet Pet Crazy, <laughs> and um, they followed us around, a producer followed us around with a camera all day long, even when we went out to the car to get things. Um, And I think that kind of, it was probably nerves on my part more than anything. And actually on the 2020 show, they put us in the opening clips saying, just show kind of showing him barking. Oh, (laughs) it was kind of, it was kind of embarrassing. Oh, (laughs) but, and then that night it snowed. In this was a, a a competition in Northern Virginia, and I thought I'm just going to go home. You know, he didn't he didn't do well. This, you know, we'll just try again next time. But something I thought, well, we're here. Let's just go ahead and go, and we'll the second day competition, and we'll just see what happens. And so the second day, he just nailed it. He nailed everything, and ended up we took first place in our 
beginner division and he got a little medal and he got a little certificate and um, he just did really, really well. That's amazing. And I'm sure just like people, dogs have good good days and bad days. Absolutely. Good days and bad days. But it sounds like when he was on, he really enjoyed doing it. And he, yeah. And he was so connected to me. He was just like, I didn't really have to even give him too many commands. It's almost like he knew the music. He knew what to do when it hit certain part in the music. Yeah. He just was really good at it. That's amazing. So how long did you have Sammy Davis? So he, uh, he, unfortunately, he also got sick when he was about six years old. Oh, no. Kind of this, a similar thing that my first one had. And I was devastated. Um, All these different kind of diets. Um, Somebody told me that the best thing to do is like a white, a white food diet. And all you feed them is fish and potatoes and rice. And that didn't work. And then I tried, like somebody said, make make his food in a crock pot and put like turmeric and these different kind of spices that would settle his stomach. And that didn't work. And then I took him and had acupuncture and it worked for probably six months or so. But then finally, that didn't work either. And I was just heartbroken when he passed away. He was, I think anybody who has a dog knows there's certain dogs that are, you know, I call them heart dogs. And when they pass, it's like, it's really tough. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a few people that have called it their soul dog or their soul Mm. cat. You just have a connection that you can't. You know what it is, but you can't explain it. Right. Right. Well, that must have been very difficult for you. It was very, it was very hard. Of course, I always had at least two greyhounds. Sometimes I would have three at a time, but I had another brindle greyhound when he passed away, but she was not, she wasn't interested in doing the dog dancing or being a therapy dog. She, um, you know, some dogs just don't like it. Just like you said, just like people, they're just not interested in it. And so I had her for a while and I waited, I want to say at least a year. And then I got the dog that I have now, Coheed, and I've had him ever since. That's great. Yeah. You know, like we said, pets, all have their unique identities and personalities and some dogs just want to be dogs. Right. Right. (laughs) And sometimes they want to be adventure dogs and go out and do things and see people. So that the best thing we can do, which is what you've done is cater to what they want. So they have the best version of their life. Right. Right. Yes. So you mentioned that both Kit and Sammy Davis um, had some of the same issues. Was the health issues you dealt with with them, were they pretty common for greyhounds? Well, I, you know, I don't think so. That's one of the things about greyhounds, uh, racing greyhounds in particular, are really healthy Mm. because they're trained. They were trained for a, a specific task rather than being trained for their looks or... right. You know, those kinds of things. Um, So for the most part, 
they're, they're very healthy. What they're finding, so I, you know, 30 years ago when people were racing greyhounds and there weren't all the adoption groups there are now, there weren't all the rescue um, places there are now. And at the end of their racing life, you know, many of them would be euthanized because, you know, they weren't making money for the owners anymore. And there were younger dogs coming up to take their places. And so that was just like an understood thing in the industry. Mm -hmm. But then the rescue groups started advocating for the animals. And so what I think has happened is now that greyhounds are living a lot longer than they used to, they're they're having more health issues and a lot of them have like osteo like bone cancers when they get to be you know nine ten years old and that's something that they didn't see years ago but of course the dogs weren't living that long right yeah no that makes a lot of sense luckily we do have rescues and they are stepping in i would say i'm not pro you know, dogs having to be race dogs, but they are bred for purposes and Mm -hmm. used in that way. But what's great is we do have rescue specific for those dogs where they step in when they're not able to race or they're not able to race any longer, whatever it may be, that -hmm. they can rescue them and find home. So that makes sense. They live longer now because there's more and more of them being adopted out into homes. So Now they're seeing things happen that they didn't know about because most dogs wouldn't be racing at nine or 10 years old. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And, you know, for racing, there's pros on pros and cons. And it's just like any other thing there, you know, there are good people and bad people and right. And the bad ones make it so that it's more difficult for the good ones so as far as racing goes, um, you know, the, the greyhounds, I mean, they love to run and there's nothing they like more than to chase a little furry thing. Right. That's like the ultimate goal for them. And the bad thing was, you know, as, as greyhound racing was kind of declining and more states were doing lotteries so people could bet on lotteries, then they stopped betting on greyhound racing and then the owners didn't have the income to keep the tracks in prime condition and so a lot more greyhounds got injured and um, because the tracks were not kept you know there would be holes in the tracks and things they would step in them and Mm. you know break legs and things like that and so if in a perfect world if they could race every day they would be in you know that would be wonderful for them right Um, but you know the world isn't perfect right right well no that that I think that's really important information to think about I wouldn't even have thought about how over time things have changed and because there's less interest in the dog racing then yeah they're running on tracks that aren't well kept and that means they're gonna have more injuries and yes it's just a you know domino effect depending on what their situation is and you know i'm sure since they love racing but they also want a life where when they're not racing they're still well cared for and have a good life too so there's definitely a balance right yes so some of the 
you know, people who are anti-racing are, you know, in some respects, a little bit fanatic about it. I would prefer that, you know, they they could go out once a week and run around a high school football track or something, you know, right. and they'd be happy. But I don't think that also that they need exactly need to close down all the racing industry and have people lose their jobs and things like so I'm not on either end of the spectrum I guess right I can see good and bad in both absolutely well and I think what's great is in that good and bad and whatever situation you're in you're you're doing your part to help the rescue you know to foster to find homes and you know provide homes yourself for animals Mm -hmm. in need and that's the most important part Mm-hmm. And they're they're not the pet for everyone, so that's why we would do the home visits. You know, like they can't they they have really thin skin, and they can't be left out in either super hot weather or super cold weather. You know, they you know they just have they can't be um, chained up because yeah. if a if a rabbit or a squirrel runs past them, you know, in three, in three, in three strides, they can be going for 45 miles an hour. Oh my and, gosh. And if they're on the end of a chain and they're running, then you're mm. going to have a broken neck or a broken trachea, or, you know, you're going right. to have some kind of injury. So when we would do the home visits, that's one of the things, you know, we would, we would bring a dog with us because a lot of people don't realize how big they are for one thing. And when you put one in your house, you can see, oh, this that's a big, that's a big dog. <laughs> and um, also to explain about, you know, um, hole, holes in their yards or if their fence had a hole in it or things like that. No, I think that's so important. And that's what's greater about so many rescue and foster groups is people have to be educated about the type of dog they're getting. And sometimes you don't know all the breeds, but if you do, like you said, there's very specifics about breeds of dogs that you want to know so that they are well taken care of and they have the right environment. And Mm -hmm. I can imagine the greyhounds also need a lot of exercise. Well, see, and that's a fallacy. Oh, okay. They they really don't need a lot of exercise. A, A couple walks a day and Maybe once a week, take them to a dog park and let them do what we call zoomies, mm. which are, you know, run, run really fast yes. and and they're fine. They're great apartment dogs. Well, right there. I wouldn't have ever thought that. I would have thought the opposite. Yeah. So then they're not necessarily high energy. They can run fast, but they don't necessarily have energy that keeps them bouncing off the walls. Correct. They're, okay. they're, sprint, they're sprinters. So they... Mm. They don't, they don't have to be going all the time. They just, every once in a while, they need to kind of stretch their legs, but they're not like a Australian Shepherd or a Border Collie or a, you know, one of those high energy, always right. need to be working kind of a dog. They're not like that at all. Yeah. Or even German Shepherds, you know, yeah. there are some dogs that just, they need to be going to they get worn to out. They need to have a job to do. And yes. if you don't if you don't give them a job to do, they'll find a job to do. <laughs> <laughs> Whether you like it or not. <laughs> so do you still work with the James River Greyhounds? I do. Um, I help them out. Um, not as much as I used to, because since I've been retired, I moved from 
where I used to live. And so I'm not in that area where I need to do all the home visits. But but we just had our picnic this weekend and I was responsible for the games. And so I had carved some pumpkins with dog-themed pumpkins. And we did a little relay race around the pumpkins. And, um, and then we used the pumpkins as the prizes. That sounds like fun. <laughs> it was fun. It seemed like everyone had fun. And you, you mentioned to me about they have a facility called the Gray Love Retirement. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Great. Oh, love. great. Uh, I see yeah. the T. <laughs> great Love Retirement. So, so that was a, that's a, a sister facility, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I first got involved with them and they were James River Greyhounds and they got their dogs from Jacksonville, Florida. And so about once a month, they had a van and people would go down, volunteers would go in the van to Florida to the track and pick up eight to 10 greyhounds, bring them back to Richmond. And then we would um, foster them in our homes because, you know, we didn't have any place else to put them until they were, you know, somebody adopted them. Right. Uh, But in the last, I want to say five years, four or five years they were able to build this little facility and they can house up to 12 greyhounds there. Wow. Um, It also has a place for like giving them baths and things like that and a little turnout pen. So it just meant that we could take more dogs because we didn't have to rely on um, foster home situation kind of thing. Right. No, that's great. Especially if they were going every month to get more dogs. Right. So once a month. Okay. Now since, and then in the past, well, I want to say two years, they've completely eliminated greyhound racing in Florida. Oh, wow. So, yeah. And so there's only three states that still allow greyhound racing, and that is West Virginia, Arkansas, and Iowa. And so now we get the dogs from Wheeling, West Virginia, which is closer for us to go. Mm. During COVID, though, um, they weren't racing, of course. And um, so we would get maybe one or two a week or one or two. Yeah, one or two a month. And now it's kind of coming back. And so now they're back up to getting you know six to 12 a month. That's great that they have somewhere to house them and they they're still able to rescue. Yes. So speaking of your retirement, Mm -hmm. you had a very long career as a mechanical designer and then you retired and you became a writer. Yes. (laughs) How did that come about? So, well, I always loved to write when I was a little kid. I loved writing stories. I was always writing stories about things around the house and that kind of thing. And also loved languages. I always um, was interested in languages. And I guess my dream job would have been to work at like a publishing house and work maybe somehow with their translations. That would have been my dream job. My parents owned a bar and in outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and they were not gun ho on college. They thought you, you just need to stay here and work in the bar. So I went 
like one year to college and I majored in German and then I quit that. And my dad said, well, maybe you should learn a trade. And I went for about 18 months to a technical school and learned drafting. And so I started working first for a company in Pittsburgh that was near the river and all of its drawings got ruined in a flood. And this was before computers. And so I basically spent all day tracing the drawings that got ruined in the flood. And this was a vacuum processing company. And they made they made freeze dryers for coffee and they made pharmaceutical dryers. Wow. So I worked there for a little while. And then a German company decided they were going to uh, open a branch in close to where I lived in outside of Pittsburgh. And they made vacuum pumps. And so I got hired there to translate their German drawings into American drawings. Of course, the Germans use metric system and we didn't, and the, plus the language. Right. And so I did that for a number of years. And then my husband at the time, my first husband, was a landscaper. And so he didn't work in the winter because it was um, snowy there in Pittsburgh. Right. So so we had gone to Virginia one year on vacation and liked it here. And so we decided to move here. And I looked in the paper and there was this ad for designer drafter at this laboratory. And they wanted someone who had like vacuum experience and piping experience. And I thought it's just made for me. So um I went to work there and stayed there for 30 years and designed the experiments for the visiting physicists. The laboratory was the only laboratory um, of its kind in the world. So um, people, people came from all over to do their experiments there. But I always, you know, I love to write. I always loved it. Um, and so when I was able to retire, uh, my husband and I moved to Richmond and I thought, I'm going to, I'm just going to write. So my first book that I wrote at the beginning of the pandemic, which is what also happened right as we retired. Right. Good timing. Now you can't go anywhere. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I took some online classes, I guess you want to say. Some of them were free. One was called Finding the Writer Within. That was the first one. And it was kind of a two weeks long. The lady who ran that program had then a follow-up program called Book in 90 that I, I paid for. And it was she said, you know, at the end of 90 days, if you want to be holding your manuscript in your hand, and um, she kind of laid out the the roadmap for how to um, get this manuscript ripped. You have to write this many words a week. And then if you're going to write three days a week, you have to write this many words a day. And so my first book is a historical fiction, but it's based on the true story of my granduncle, Joe Harris. 
and he played baseball in the 1910s and the 1920s. He started out working in a coal mine, got scouted by some semi-pro scouts and played for some semi-pro teams. And then World War I happened mm. and he went to fight in World War I. He got injured in a very bad accident on his way home. And but he worked his way back and ended up playing in the World Series against Babe Ruth in 1927. Wow. So so the story was, you know, a family story, but I embellished it some. Right. Of course, I had to put a greyhound in the story. Of course (laughs) I did. (laughs) Of course. You write what you know. Yeah, and he was an animal lover too. He um, actually raised and sold uh, English pointer pups because he was a, also a, a hunter. So he was an animal person too. So there are some animals in that story also. And then uh, I self-published it, came out in December 2020. Then I started writing the second book, which is a memoir, the memoir about the greyhound adoption and the dog dancing. And that was a whole, I felt, I felt called to write that book. I just felt like there were things in it that I had to put on paper. I don't know why. That's how a lot of times where creative writing or art comes from. Yeah. And so you've published that as well. Yeah. And so I wrote that and I published it in June of this year published again. I have a really dear friend that I met through through Greyhound Adoption. I did I did their home visit. He helped me. He did the covers for both my books. Yeah, I was able to self-publish and now I'm working on the third book. Wow, that's great. You know, so many people have these things that they love and would love to do, but don't actually ever pursue it or go through with it. So it sounds like you really decided, I'm going to do it. Um, Yes. And, you know, it was a weird, it was a weird time, right? I mean, we were all stuck at home. And I really think that it got me through that time, having that writer's group that we met once a week on Zoom. We of course we talked about our books and the challenges of writing the book, but we also could say, you know, I'm scared or right. <laughs> this is what's going to happen. What's going to happen next week and those kinds of things. Absolutely, that that sense of community that you had, I'm sure, yes. was very important. Well, it sounds like you have a great writer community and a great greyhound community. <laughs> Yes. And so I love that your memoir kind of bridged those two together for you. Yes. And then what the name of your memoir? The memoir is called Look, You're Dancing. Ah. So one of the things I did after I started dog dancing, after Sammy and I were going to start competing, um, I, I, like I said, my parents had a bar when I was growing up and I didn't get to take dance lessons and, uh-uh. you know, I didn't get to do all those kinds of things that kids get to do. Cause you know, we, we were, um, we were always at the bar helping out. Right. And, and so when I turned 50, 
one of my girlfriends at work said, uh, you know, we should take a dance class because then that would be a way for us to see each other more often. And, and it would be something fun to do. And I was like, I never took a dance class in my life. <laughs> well, so we contacted this dance studio. The woman who ran it said, well, you know, the it was like December. And she said, the women have adult class. They started in September and they're working on their recital dance. And if you guys like stay in the back and don't interfere with their recital class, then you can, then you can come and you can take classes. And so we went to take these dance classes and started doing tap dancing, which I absolutely loved. And we had this wonderful, wonderful teacher um, Tammy, and she would, we would just do these little tap combinations, you know, tap, tap, tap with your right foot, right. tap, tap, tap with your left foot. And then she'd say, look, you're dancing. <laughs> and just with this like big smile on her face and. <laughs> and amazing. Just, and you would just feel like, you know, you're on Broadway because. <laughs> look you're dancing <laughs> wow what a great what a great teacher she was wonderful just wonderful and so then you know I fell in love with tap dancing and then I thought well this is gonna make me better at dog dancing because now I'm gonna understand how you have to use the floor and you have to have certain you know you want to go a little bit fast and then you want to go a little bit slow and you want to make it interesting for the people to watch and so that's um, really great well i i think it's great how you've kind of combined your passions and are getting to tell your story as well as other stories sounds like you're going to keep writing and i just think it's great that you've been able to find your you know your your dog in the greyhounds and dogs that deserve to have, you know, the lives that you're giving them. I would say, you know, it's never too late. It's never too late. If there's something that you've always wanted to try or do. I started tap dancing when I was 50 and I didn't start writing to in earnest until I was 60. So um, just if there's something you want to do, it's never too late. Yeah, I think that is absolutely a great a great thing to put out there a great thing for people to hear and so much right now is overwhelming but if you find yes. something you love and you're passionate about then you can put your energy there and it'll yes. help it, it also gives you respite from all of the negative or uncomfortable stuff and that's what we all need i agree and we're all lucky that we have pets to help us do that yes that's another thing, you know, I think that helped through the pandemic was going out and walking the dog a couple times a day. Right. Just, just getting, you know, we could get outside where we weren't, you couldn't, you couldn't go anywhere, right? You couldn't like go to the movies or go to a show or anything like that, but you could go outside. Right. So. Absolutely. I think that's so important. I think that's why it's so important for people um, who feel isolated, who live alone, you know, pets can be such yes. a uh, an important companion, whether it's a dog or a cat or anything, mm -hmm. you know, find your, find your pet 
whatever that may be. And, you know, they give you, you you can create that bond, have that relationship, but also, like you said, they give you something to do, whether it's walking them or playing with them, all those things. Dancing with them. Exactly. (laughs) Who knew? (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's just amazing. Well, I, Joyce, I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. I mean, it's why I started the podcast is to, you know, let people share their stories and all the amazing ways that pets are a part of our life and how they, you know, help us to do things like tap dance that we never thought we'd ever get to do. Yes. Well, I really appreciate your time and thank you for being here. And I will list all of Joyce's contact information as well as the Greyhound Rescue she works with so you can learn more about them in the show notes. Thank you, Joyce, again for being here. It was a great conversation. I love learning about your story. And I know that our listeners will enjoy learning too. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It was great. My pleasure.